Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. I love that music. My, my engineer likes it too. Welcome to today's program. We, we have an interesting one, and we start off first with Seth, Seth Levitt. He's CEO and owner of Abels and Hyman. They're purveyors of some of the finest uh, food products, hot dogs, etc. Frank, I guess hot dogs are, are uh, 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 kind of the derivative way of saying Frankfurters, but however you put it, it's a family business. And, and he's in the process of growing it even more rapidly than it has in the last 19 years since he bought it. Seth, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Well, Seth, as we ask all our guests, tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we get into anything else. Well, I'm 45 years old, I'm married with three children. Uh, I live in northern New Jersey, and um, I... I've been working at uh, Abels and Hyman for uh, 19 years now. It's a little over 19 years. Uh, that's when I took over the company from the uh, original owners. Uh, the original owners were an uh, uncle and nephew. Um, it was a small business at the time, uh, a little over a half million dollars in sales. Uh, it was run more as a hobby, I think, than as a business. It was something that kept uh, the surviving owner occupied. Um, he was, uh, at the time looking for a buyer, didn't have, uh, kids that wanted to go into the business. And, uh, I was already working in the industry. Uh, I was a salesman for a meat company, uh, that sold kosher provisions. And I saw this as an opportunity to, um, take over a small company and grow it and become my own boss. So hmm. along with a partner at the time, a cousin, uh, who was an attorney, uh, we teamed up and we uh, acquired the business from the uh, surviving uh, partner. Well, um, obviously, it's a very good business, an interesting business. Well, now you're 19 years later. Do you regret your decision? Not for a moment. Uh, while there have been uh, difficult times, there have also been uh, pleasurable times and uh, the company, you know, is, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I view each day as a, a challenge, but uh, a rewarding challenge. Um, you know, I'm doing something for myself and, uh, I enjoy that and I enjoy what I do. So I don't view it as work. I view it as 
Uh, I don't want to call it fun, but uh, I, I certainly don't don't view it as work. It's something that I love. Well, what types of products do you have? We manufacture a full line of kosher provisions. Um, we make hot dogs and salamis and uh, corned beef and pastrami's. We make some old world uh, delicacies like servalot and kishka. And we now make some modern, healthier for you uh, products. Uh, uh, for example, we make uh, reduced fat and sodium hot dogs with no nitrates added um, for people who are looking to move away from uh, chemical nitrates found in uh, their hot dogs. Uh, we use uh, natural nitrates, which are found in celery, uh, the same type of celery your mother would put into her chicken soup. Uh, it's one of the reasons why chicken soup would uh, be cured, uh, because you would be extracting the celery, the, the, the natural nitrates from the celery. And uh, we're trying to build the, the business to you know, sell healthier products. Well, you know, I'm good for our non-Jewish audience, what do you mean by kosher? People see that all the time, but I think I don't think a lot of people know what, what kosher means and how you have to do it. Okay, so you know, in addition to being uh, a USDA inspected facility where we have a, a government inspector walking through our plant every day, they have their own office. We also have a rabbi at our facility uh, making sure that all the ingredients that we use are kosher. Kosher is another term for pure. Everything is pure. When we uh, bring in our meat, we know that our meat was, uh, uh, was inspected at the slaughter for uh, abrasions, bruises, broken bones, um, spots on their lungs, um, it goes through a whole process in order to be deemed kosher. And, uh, you know, unlike other companies that will use downer cattle or cattle with broken bones, we make sure that our meat has been uh, inspected and passed the inspection of kosher supervisors, along with all of our other ingredients. Well, thank you. I think a lot of people didn't know. Well, now you're sitting here, you're 19 years into the business, you're now in Costco and other places. How do you expand a business like yours? Um, that's a very good question, and that's, a, that's, a, that's one of the greatest challenges that we have. Um, the best way is to continue putting out a premium product and allow the product to speak for itself. You know, I, I once heard someone say it's great to have a nice-looking package, but it's even more important that what's in the package is better than what the package looks like. And that's what we do. We, we make a, a premium product. We have an attractive package, and we go after customers by letting them taste the product. And once they taste the product, they're hooked. So like you said, we're products, we have products that are found in Costco. We also have products that are found in BJ's. Uh, we have products that are sold uh, primarily in the kosher market nationwide. But we also sell our hot dogs uh, to a number of stadiums. The uh, Yankees use our hot dogs at, in the Legends Lounge. Uh, Barclays Center uses our hot dogs and our pastrami. Um, you know, at the kosher concessions, a lot of a lot of stadiums today have kosher concessions set up so that fans who do keep kosher are able to enjoy a game and enjoy the food at the stadiums as well. So you can find our products uh, in a lot of different places today. 
Well, um, one of the things I notice, I go to a fancy food show every year, um, and, and talking to some of the uh, uh, visitors, it seems to me that the number of butcher shops, independent, are, are slowly eroding. Is that is my perception wrong, or um, is that a market marketplace that's becoming highly specialized? That is uh, absolutely correct. Um, today, uh, what's happening is the supermarket chains, the Acme's, the ShopRite's, uh, the Stop and Shops, the Wegmans, the Kroger's, they're actually opening up in uh, neighborhoods that have large kosher communities. They're opening up specialty stores within their stores so that they can provide kosher butchered meats to kosher butchered delis and cheeses to the consumer who wants kosher products. Because like you said, the small independent kosher butcher shop, that's a thing of the past. That, 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 that day has come and gone. Uh, today you're looking at, uh, even in the kosher uh, um, stores, you're looking at mammoth stores. You're looking at stores that are, are taking over former supermarket chains or supermarkets uh, so that they can sell their wares. Um, in in, in uh, Passaic, New Jersey, uh, there's a, a, a store, there's a, a Seasons, which is a chain of kosher food stores that took over an old Acme uh, supermarket. And I think it's one of the largest kosher supermarkets in the Northeast right now. So, yes, yeah, so you're not going to find the small localized butcher the way you did 30, 40 years ago. Yes. Unfortunately, we're not going to find a lot of things from 30 and 40 years ago. Correct. <laughs> As you were saying that, I was remembering growing up of the little A&P store around the corner. And who would ever think that that would go out of business? But now... But uh, but now, uh, looking ahead, um, um, are your children, I don't know if they're old enough, are you thinking of, of may, uh, having your children involved in the business? This was my dream, and I wish for my children that they find theirs. Uh, my oldest just started college. Uh, he's uh, attending Binghamton University in uh, uh, upstate New York, and he wants to go into medical research. Uh, I have another daughter that wants to become a doctor, and I have a young daughter that doesn't know what she wants to become yet. But I want them to follow their dreams, just like I did. That's the most important thing to me. Well, okay. Now, as a small business owner, what are the three issues that you, you find um, um, uh, 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 you have to handle almost on a daily basis or uh, consume a lot of your time? Um. I wouldn't say that there are exactly three issues. Being in a small business, you wear many different hats, so there are a lot of, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, fires to put out, uh, from sales to uh, employees to uh, purchasing to uh, um, receivables, payables. Uh, there's, 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 I, I, for myself, and I, it may be different for other people, uh, I, I couldn't pinpoint any three things that uh, I have to deal with uh, specifically. It's a group of things that I have to deal with. Well, we're talking with Seth, Seth Levitt. He's CEO of Abel's and Hyman. They're purveyors of some of the best. Uh, co I'm not going to say kosher. I'm just going to say best uh, 
Frankfurter-like products uh, we've encountered in a long time. We've but now, actually, uh, uh, I'm sorry. No, you first. You're the guest. I was, I was going to say that we've actually uh, been ranked uh, in a number of newspapers, uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the Forward, which is a venerable Jewish paper from the early 1900s, is uh, having top kosher dog and the top dog in the United States, uh, where we've been compared. We've been uh, our hot dogs have been compared, uh, uh, put up uh, against Heber National, Applegate, uh, Ballpark, and other large brands, and uh, they found that ours was the best. So uh, you know, we take a lot of pride in what we do uh, by producing you know, a quality hot dog. And that's the, that's the basis of our business. The majority of our business is hot dog sales. And uh, we take a lot of pride in, in knowing that we produce a quality product. But you don't compete on price. You compete on quality. Am I that correct? Is correct. That is correct. And that's uh, what keeps us small because people are price conscious. Uh, they do like to buy today, uh, you know, a little bit less expensive products, but people who care about quality, they keep us in business, and we appreciate them, and that's what we do. We do it for them. The people that care about quality are, are the consumers that we want to sell to. Well, um, one of one of the things I noticed in my uh, uh, supermarket yet um, when I went out to buy your product was that in some cases you were almost twice the price of the on-sale item, which I found fascinating. Um, Yet in the time I was there, a woman did pick up your product. So um, I guess you, uh, you, you, uh, competing on quality does have its advantages. Correct. Because, uh, you know, I can speak for myself. I can't speak for my competition. I don't know what they do to make their hot dogs uh, large batches. Uh, we use spices. A lot of people use spice extracts. Uh, we use meat. A lot of people use fillers. Um, uh, it makes a difference, and you know that difference shows in the quality of the product. And when the consumer tastes the product, whether they keep kosher or they like to buy kosher, um, they can taste that difference. And that's why they come back and they're repeat customers. And yes, in many cases, we are twice the price of uh, the on-sale competition. Um, but thankfully, there are people that that do acknowledge that quality trumps price, and that's what uh, that's what we uh, are, are looking for. Well, since you're uh, basically your base product is a meat, uh, you're subject to the uh, the whims of the uh, uh, of the overall prices, where um, meats have fluctuated one way or the other, particularly over the last two and a half years. How do you guard sure. against that? Uh, we always try whenever possible to buy low and uh, buy in whenever we can when prices drop. Uh, I keep my eye on the uh, USDA daily sheet price. So I, I know what the prices are. Uh, and when I buy from my suppliers, my, tra my prices you know fluctuate from week to week based on the sheet price that the USDA puts out. Um, it's just you get a feeling after 19 years okay, prices are right right now. Let's try and buy in and put in our freezer, and this way we can have uh, some materials for the long term uh, as opposed to getting caught with uh, prices being sky high and having to buy it in the spot market. 
Well, um, do you use futures or do you buy and, and store? Um, uh, how do you do it? I've always been fascinated by the uh, Frankfurter, um, or what do you call it, mixed meat um, industry. Well, I'm right. from Newark, uh, and no, we, we used to have you first. I'm sorry. Uh, we, we don't use futures. I mean, we follow the sheet price. And uh, prices are usually dictated by the, the price of the sheet. Because it's kosher and there are added layers of um, supervision, it's already more expensive to begin with. There are additional costs that you don't incur in the non-kosher industry. For example, it, for kosher animals, you're only allowed to use the forequarter, the, the front half of the animal. The, the back of the animal is rendered non-kosher and has to be sold to a non-kosher butcher or, 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 or supermarket. So you're already dealing with a, a limited uh, half of the animal, uh, you know, when compared to non-kosher companies. That's going to cost you because there is a value in the rear, in the, in the hind quarter, and you're losing on that value. Then you have the additional cost of, of the uh, kosher supervision, making sure that the animals that you get, when you slaughter 100 head of cattle and you get 30 head deemed kosher, you're lucky because, uh, you know, the, the, the numbers that are, you know, consi considered kosher are not generally that high. In or, you know, in order to pass the kosher criteria, the kosher test, um, to make sure that the animals are healthy, that there are no spots on the lungs. So if you're getting a 30% yield, you're very lucky uh, when, you're, hmm. when you're slaughtering kosher. So it's already... Being kosher already makes it more expensive, even before you add the premium quality to it. Yeah. Oh, what about uh, um, your employees? Um, uh, do you have long-term employees? Um, uh, I'm told sometimes it's difficult to find people who want to deal with uh, animal parts. Uh, how do you go about finding people and keeping people? Okay, so we have a very, I think, nice place to work, and that's uh, one of the things that allows us to retain employees for long periods of time. Now, we are a seasonal business, so that means that during the summer our, we do have to hire additional staff and we run second shifts. Um, in cases like that, we usually uh, go outside of uh, and hire uh, employees through temp agencies. But we have our core employees. We have about uh, uh, in our high season, about 35, and year-round, about uh, 20 to 25. Uh, but many have been with me for many, many years, and it's because it's a nice place to work. I treat people fairly. Um, I treat them with respect. Um, I look for smart people uh, to work with me, um, and I listen. And uh, it's very important to listen to your employees and to collaborate and to have teamwork, and everyone from the guy who sweeps up you know, the floor to the guy who helps you with your production. So that's that's what we do. I hadn't realized that your business was seasonal. Uh, you sell more in the summer. I mean, could you explain that a little further? Certainly. Our season starts um, in March, basically, right around Passover time. Uh, and it extends through Labor Day. Um, after that, uh, especially in the Northeast, when you when you sell it to markets in Florida and California, it's less seasonal because the uh, weather uh, is is 
it doesn't change as much as it does in the Northeast. But we're primarily a, a Northeastern brand. Um, so the weather does affect sales. People are less inclined to go outside and barbecue when it's 30 degrees outside uh, than when it's 80 degrees outside. And uh, that does affect hot dog sales. Hmm. I, I never realized. I, I guess I did. You know, to, uh, you see the Frankfurter ads. I, I keep going back to hot dogs and Frankfurters, but I know you have other products. Your knockwurst, by the way, is out of this world. Thank um, you. Thank you very much. Um, um, but I hadn't, uh, you know, you see it in the, some, uh, in the summertime. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we've talked about a, a lot of, a lot of things, but now, um, uh, where do you see yourself going? You have 19 years in, in, uh, in the business. There are people, um, out there that, um, say, uh, you, uh it, it starts to get, gets old. Do you have any succession plans or any plans, uh, an exit strategy? Do I have an exit strategy? Well, I recently, uh, about four years, partnered with uh, an Israeli company, a kibbutz actually in Israel. Uh, um, uh, and they've come in and uh, uh, helped me uh, grow the business and run the business. And um, I think that down the road, uh, I don't know if it'll be, 10 years from now or 20 years from now, uh, I may take a, a, a back seat to running the company, hiring someone to uh, take over as CEO. Um, but uh, right now I enjoy it, so I'm not looking, it's not something that I'm looking to leave or even for that matter have an exit strategy with. Uh, it's something that well, every day I wake up and it's just a pleasure to come into work. Well, it's a pleasure hearing from you. Seth, uh, the, your website and where people can reach you? Sure. It's abels-hyman.com, A-B-E-L-E-S-H-E-Y-M-A-N-N. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we like to reach out and hear from our consumers as much as possible. Uh, we're constantly posting, running contests. Uh, we're looking to... Uh, connect with the consumer and have that relationship that a small company can have other, you know, rather than a large company, um, you know, because uh, we rely on them. The consumers are obviously uh, what makes up our business. Well, thank you so much for, for being with us today. It was really, it was a really uh, a pleasure and, and I really enjoyed uh, your products. Thank you so much, Seth, for being here. Thank you for having me. Have a nice day. Thank you. You too. Our next guest is A.J. Smith, who talks about the best cities to locate a small business, business and more. Uh, A.J., welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. A.J., they never told me your first name. <laughs> it's, it's A.J. <laughs> really? Okay, yes. then, then I have it right on the billboard. Okay. You do. Okay. As we ask every guest, uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we get into anything else. Sure. So, um, yeah, my name is AJ Smith. I work for a company called Smart Asset here in New York City, and we're a personal finance technology company. 
Uh, my background is, is mostly in um, television journalism, and I am the VP of content here, so I head up the, um, all the editorial efforts here at Smart Asset. Okay. Uh, so tell us um, uh, about the survey, about everything else, then we'll go into more. Yeah, absolutely. So, so here at Smart Asset, we provide free online tools uh, to people who are looking to make decisions on big personal finance topics. So things like, how much house can I afford? Should I be buying or renting right now? How much money do I need to save for retirement? We have free online tools for those types of questions. And we provide advice for people based on some information they give us and some data analysis that we do on the back end. So we are always looking at data. <laughs> we are looking at lots of it. We love it. Um, and we know there's lots of information that that data has. And so we periodically do studies on, on topics related to personal finance to get people thinking and talking about these issues. So for example, um, you know, what you choose to do for a living, whether you start your own company or work for another company, can have a great impact on your personal financial situation. And so we looked into kind of where were the best places in the country to start up a business um, where you would have the lowest cost. And, uh, and to figure that out, we looked at a couple different things. We gathered this data and, uh, and we compared um, city to city. When it came to kind of figuring out what your small business is, obviously every small business is going to have very specific needs. Not everyone has the same. But we wanted to be able to compare city to city. So we had to create kind of a, a, a test case or a, an example small business. And then we looked at what those costs would be. Those same exact costs would be in uh, all of the 80 cities that we looked at. We looked at 80 of the largest cities in the U.S. Okay. And what did you find is the number one city to, to uh, start a new business? Yeah, well, we found that um, for the second year in a row, actually, this is the second year we've done the study, and for the second year in a row, Chattanooga, Tennessee, came in as number one as the city with the lowest startup costs. Hmm. Really? Because um, uh, it's funny, um, I was invited to, uh, on a press tour of Chattanooga in October uh, to talk about their startup. Uh, th that's funny you should mention it. And you just reminded me they haven't confirmed it yet. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> well, you should, you uh, should go. It seems like they've got something good going on there. <laughs> um, well, uh, before we go on to the other ones on the list, did you find out what's the worst city or some of the uh, le less welcoming cities? Um, yeah, well, we, that we, you we did. We only, we, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to – you can answer the question, you know. Yeah, so we, we looked at we only looked at the eighty largest U.S. cities, and so um, some of the cities that that did you know not as well in our in our list we're, we're going to be the cities that have very high um, real estate costs and very high um, you know employee salaries. For for this example business, this test case, we looked at um, one year of running the business with uh, needing five employees and leasing out a thousand square feet of office space. And of course, not every, as I mentioned, not every um, small business will have those needs. But um, because of those needs, we did see that um, places that are more expensive to employ people, places that have higher wages and places that have high real estate costs um, did not do well in our study. So out of the 80 cities we looked at, um, some of the cities that were at the bottom of the list were places that are probably not so surprising, places like San Jose, San Francisco, 
D.C., New York City, and Boston. So those expensive cities where you have higher wages and you also have, um, you know, higher real estate costs. Hmm. Well, you know, um, uh, let me ask a question. I don't know if you, uh, you enter this. And, and I, our, uh, our company is domiciled in, in New Jersey, and uh, uh, we get hit with all sorts of state taxes that make it almost, uh, for instance, uh, just to give you one, even though uh, 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 we are a virtual organization, we are required to have uh, 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 workman's comp. Uh, yet, yet our employees, for all intents and purposes, are, are contractors. Why do you ever consider items like that in your surveys? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we, we, we did not, for this, for this specific study, we did not look at that in particular. But I think we see some of that caught up in some of those higher costs, um, you know, that these places, I mean, we're a startup obviously based in, in New York City. Um, so it doesn't mean it's not doable to start up a company in these places, but it does mean that you're going to have some more upfront, upfront costs. And, and maybe there'll be support systems as well that can really help, um, help with some of those things. But uh, for this particular study, we didn't take that into account, no. Well, um, let me go on another um, uh, uh, way. Uh, for instance, um, uh, uh, I've been told by many people that um, se uh, setting up a company in Nevada and Las Vegas is a lot cheaper than setting it up just uh, 60 miles west in California. Um, uh, I know you do it in terms of cities, but uh, where does Las Vegas sit in your study? Um, where, uh, I'll have to look up where exactly Las Vegas uh, oh, lies in, our, no, in no. our study here. But yeah, but I think certainly, I mean, certainly things like taxes, um, you know, that can that can have an impact on on where you start your business. Um, absolutely, there. I mean, there are many different factors for people to think about, and we kind of hope that. Um, that this gets people thinking about that. You know, this is, as I mentioned, this isn't going to be the exact situation for your business. Maybe you need six employees. Maybe you only need two. But hopefully this gets you thinking, wow, what are, there are specific location-specific things um, that maybe I should be thinking about before I decide where to, to start up my business. And it looks like Las Vegas um, ranked number 13 in our, in our study of the, of the uh, 80 cities. So it did, Las Vegas okay. did pretty well there. Yeah. Hmm. Can can people uh, look up your study uh, and how? To, if so, how can they do it? Absolutely, they can go to our website, which is smartasset.com. That's all one word: s m a r t a s s e t dot com. And they can find this study and a variety of other studies as well. That again, we just hope gets people thinking and talking about these topics and and maybe doing some more research to to learn more about what would be important for them to consider uh, as they go into the process. Because we just think that you know. Knowledge is power, and the more uh, the more research you do, the more confident you can feel in your decisions, and uh, and then you can feel good about what impact it's going to have on uh, on your life and your finances. We're talking with A AJ Smith. She she has a very interesting study uh, about the uh, well. It's one of many studies they do. In this case, the lowest startup uh, cities in the United States. AJ, give us the other nine cities. The other nine, sure. So. So Chattanooga was number one. Wichita, Kansas is number two. Greensboro, North Carolina is number three on our list. And Columbia, South Carolina is number four. Then another Tennessee city, Knoxville, Tennessee, coming in at number five. Little Rock, Arkansas, number six. And Memphis, Tennessee at number seven. 
Lexington, Kentucky came in at number eight. Orlando, Florida was our number nine. And finally, rounding up our uh, top ten list was Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Hmm. All, all great cities. It's interesting. Tennessee has, if I heard it correctly, four of the uh, uh, top ten. It does. It has three, actually, in, the, in that top ten. They're doing really well. Chattanooga, Knoxville, and Memphis, all in our top ten list for lowest startup costs. So certainly uh, showing that, that Tennessee can be a, a good place to start up a business. Well, uh, do you know why? Oh, we saw certain, certain costs um, that were uh, lower there. I mean, we certainly saw that office space um, in, in most places, particularly in Chattanooga, and in, in Knoxville were on the cheaper side. We, we saw that um, legal and accounting fees were definitely cheaper than some other areas. I mean, Chattanooga's legal and accounting fees for that one year of service based on the way we did the study was around $3,800 compared to Orlando at over $5,000. And payroll, hmm. you know, wages there. Because of the cost of living, you know, being lower, um, salaries are a little bit lower there. And, uh, and so that meant that the payroll was uh, on the lower side. Hmm. Wow. Well, uh, let's go, let's go sideways um, for a minute and uh, ask you a question. Um, do you um, uh, survey for the availability of young people or things like that in terms of workforce? Yeah, you know, we didn't in this particular study, but we have done studies before where we have um, looked into things like, you know, unemployment levels, um, number of, of new millennials or new college grads in the area. So those are certainly things that are on our, um, on our radar and, and likely um, should be on the radar for people starting, starting up businesses. And, you know, if you're looking for highly skilled people, that's a different workforce um, set that you're looking for, or if you're looking for young people, you know, so it is a good idea to think about, okay, not just I need some people to work for me, but who exactly am I looking for and where can I go that, A, they'll either already be or where they'll be willing to go to work for this business. Hmm. Well, uh, well, now let's go even more side. Well, let's talk more about your business. Uh, explain a little bit more detail um, your company and how it works and things like that. Sure. Yeah. Well, we um, we started up uh, just about four years ago. Our website launched, and we started with just home buying type questions. So people would come to us and they'd be wondering, um, you know, if they get a mortgage, what can they expect their monthly mortgage payment to be? Or they hear from people, you know, it's a great time to buy a home. You're wasting your money just renting, um, but they're unsure. Is that, does that apply to me? So we have online calculators and tools that tell you things like, should I buy or rent? How much, should I, uh, how much house can I afford? Um, you know, what is my mortgage going to be, my monthly mortgage payment? And they put in just a little bit of information, and we do some kind of complicated math on the other end. Uh, for example, for the buy or rent, we'll, we, do, we run a number of different scenarios, one if you keep renting and one if you buy, um, and then let you know, you know, hey, if you plan on staying in that area for seven years and you have some money for a down payment, it can make sense to buy. If you plan on moving in two years and you don't have any money for a down payment, you know, it might be a quote-unquote great time to buy for some people, but not necessarily for you. And uh, we try to provide that advice to people, and all of our tools are, are free and online to use. We do have ads on our site, um, and we do get referral fees if you then move through and, and get a mortgage from one of our, um, our lenders, our partners. Okay. Now, how do you make money? That brings up... Uh, if all this is free, how do you make money? 
Yeah, so it's those display ads that you see when you're using our site, and it's those referral fees that we'll get if people move through and, uh, you know, and, and go forward with a mortgage based on some of the advice that we're giving. Now, our advice is all um, objective, but you will see that there are, hey, if, if you are going to decide to go and buy a home, here are some offers that are, being, that are out there right now from different lenders. And if you click through, we do get a referral fee on those. So in effect, uh, not to use a pejorative word, you, 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 you're a, a, a honey trap to get people um, uh, uh, to use your, your advertisers. Would that be a way of putting well, I mean, it? <laughs> um, I mean, it can be. There are those options, but we're not going to tell you. We're going to tell you you shouldn't buy um, some of the time. So we're going to say, um, you know, you don't have the funds to buy or, you know, this is the amount you should that you should spend, and lenders may tell you you can take out a mortgage for $800,000, um, but really based on the information you're telling us, we think you should not get a home that's over 600000 because um, you'll be spending way too much on that on your monthly budget, and you'll find that you'll, you'll probably fall behind. So we think well, of ourselves uh, as kind of a consumer advocate helping people um, navigate a landscape that, um, you know, that can be pretty complicated. Oh, and, and your website again, and spell it out for our audience. It's smartasset.com, S-M-A-R-T-A-S-S-E-T.com. Uh, 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 for our audience, don't get me wrong. It's a very good website that, that we tested before uh, AJ came on the program and found it very, very effective and very, uh, very interesting. Uh, well, please don't take uh, the words I used, but... Uh, uh, it's a really clever approach to attract audience. Um, uh, do you have any figures on, on how, what people, uh, uh, how many people are coming to your site? Um, we do. We've been growing very, um, very strongly since uh, we launched the website back in uh, back four years ago. As I mentioned, we started as just home buying, and now we have sections that include advice on retirement, life insurance, taxes, investing. So we have all these sections, and then you know my job as the as the head of content here is to make sure that when you're seeing when you're going to these, you're seeing okay, so I should be putting money in a 401k. What does that mean? <laughs> and we have a whole educational resource um, area that explains you know the difference between a 401k and an IRA. It explains what closing costs are and what you can expect to pay. So we have you know a lot of educational resources also um, right there and available on our website. Okay, AJ, AJ before uh, we, we let you go, please um, uh, tell us again your website, and if people wanted to talk to you or, or to anybody in your company, how did they do it? Yeah, absolutely. So, so all of our tools and calculators are, um, you know, automated and right online. So it's, uh, we're not providing kind of financial advisors. We're providing you with the information that you can then move forward with as you please, whether you want to learn more about these things, whether you want to, um, you know, sit and wait. Okay, I shouldn't buy for, I'm going to wait and come back in six months and see if my savings are adequate enough. So all those tools are, are automated and useful for people right away from our website, which is at smartasset.com, S-M-A-R-T-A-S-S-E-T.com. If they wanted to reach out about this particular study on kind of cities with the lowest startup costs or any other studies that we've done, they can reach out to us at press, P-R-E-S-S, -S, at smartasset.com, and we can, um, you know, get them more information on this or other studies. AJ, thank you so much for joining us today, and good luck with you, and uh, uh, please keep those uh, cards and letters coming, because the, 
what you offer is really valuable information. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Our next guest is Bill Pauls, who um, owns one of the, the uh, we consider one of the nicest stores and operations in New York City. Bill, welcome to the program. Good morning. It's Stanley, Stanley Pohl. Uh, I'm sorry, say that again? It's uh, Mont Stanley Pohl. William Pohl was the name of the shop. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, no, no problem. Just we. <laughs> well, who was was William Poles? William was my dad. Mm-hmm. So and now, now you're the second generation running this company. Right, second generation running it. That's right. Correct. Well, I have to tell you, we we met you at um, at a, a a show in in June, and the thing, uh, you, you and I are about the same generation, but your enthusiasm far outweighs mine. And it's always a pleasure to see somebody still enthusiastic after all these years. Uh, thank you, sir. It's necessary in this business, believe me. It, go, it actually well, goes with part of the business. Well, it, it well may, but it may be. But uh, first, Bill, tell us a little bit about yourself personally, and we'll get into everything else. Well, I originally, my, my background is actually in marketing and international advertising, uh, which I was a vice president at uh, my last position was vice president of international Prairie advertising. And then I left that to um, come into the family business because it was a shame to let this go. But my dad was getting on his years and he wanted to see that the store get perpetuate. So I just elected to come in here. <laughs> well, um, if you wouldn't mind t- uh, talking a little bit louder, um, oh, make... no, no problem. Yeah. You can even shout because I shout. Um, but uh, but how long have you been, been running the business now? I've been here since 1980, full time. Wow. And exact now, tell our audience exactly what your business is and and how you operate because it's for me it's fascinating. It's a it's a very unique operation. It's a combination of takeout gourmet food store and catering. But the, the unique thing about it is all the foods are prepared here on premises. We, we, don't, we don't buy our foods on the outside. So in other words, everything is made here with my, with my mother's recipes. That includes wow. the dinner, desserts, the soups, the appetizers, everything. Well, my wife has shopped in your your store um, even before I, I I met her many years ago. So she she says you're you're kind of unique. But t- besides that, why are you unique? Well, I think it's it's the the dedication and devotion and passion, pardon me, with which we treat the business, because every customer that comes in here is treated as a member of the family. They're not treated as strangers. So that we get to know everybody, they're greeted, and we we get to know their backgrounds, uh, who they are, their likes and dislikes, uh, and it get and we get into a conversation with them. So it's not just we come in and take a number or something, you know, just treated as a number. You know, you're you're treated as a as a human being. We we engage in conversation. Uh, it, it could be sports, it could be politics, it could be anything. Well. Um... 
You had a, a, a new product at the show uh, that I remember, I, I still remember, is very, very good. Uh, it was like a fried, fried crisp of some type. Tell us about that and what you're trying to do. Okay, that is the, the baked potato thin. It's the trademark name. It's actually, it's like a, a baked potato chip, but it's actually baked and not fried. That was my mother's last creation before she passed. And uh, it was probably the one that she's most proud of. Because she really, she really pushed that one. And we, um, we actually take whole potatoes. There are no preservatives, no additives whatsoever. And they're thinly sliced and they're actually baked. And you get, it's actually a healthy potato chip. Because, I mean, you can eat eight or ten of them and still, still talking about 100 calories. And, no, and very little fat. Well, are you expanding beyond the store now or thinking We're about it? At, we, had, we had delved into it once before, and we are looking into that right now. Uh, we're exploring the possibility of either, you know, either other options in, in like a kiosk or just going into a wholesale with the uh, potato thins and the, the dips. So, I mean, we, we've well, got various options open to us right now. Well, what made you decide to, to expand like this? Uh, actually, I think it's really, it's, it's my base, my, my marketing train background, because it, I had been started off originally in, in the consumer product goods and, uh, with Bristol Myers, and it was constantly expanding, expanding, line extensions, line extensions, and uh, they did very well with it, and that's what we've done here. Because, you know, from, from one soup, we're up to 19 soups. Uh, from one dip, we're up to 16 dips. We had been, uh, you know, we, we have 14 different potato thins that are possible, 14 different flavors. So, I mean, we, 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 you know, we really, and we love this. We love the business. When you say we, who, uh, I know my it's you, but brother. who else? Oh, my younger I'm, brother, James. Oh, so you have two. So, um, well, um, uh, do you, do you, uh, it's always a dangerous question to ask. Do you think another generation will join you? Uh, possibly. You know, it's a, it's a good question. Um, but there's good longevity in my life, so I intend to stay here for a while. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it says we're counting on it. And then, uh, you know, I, I, he, I know he'll do a good job with it, too. Okay. Um, but now, you've been at one location for a long time. Um, what have you seen of the differences uh, and uh, over time uh, that uh, affect a, a brick-and-mortar location like yours? Well, basically, I mean, especially when you, when you add 9-11, the effects of 9-11 into the economic situation and the changing uh, social climate, um, you see, people are basically getting back to value. They want comfort food. Um, if they want very, very fancy exotic food, they're going to go to a fancy French restaurant or Italian restaurant. But if they want basic, solid food that's well prepared and it's it's good food, you know, outstanding food, they'll come here. I mean, we and we we see it. We we uh, as I say, because it's it's a lot of comfort here. And with there's a big sandwich. But we do a tremendous sandwich business as well. Besides the snacks and, and the snacks and the smoked salmon and everything else, I mean every 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 there's a, a different facet to every every part of the business. 
Well, that, that's true. Getting good, good, getting good, good food, comfort food is uh, unless you make it yourself, and sometimes you're not a good cook. It's very difficult to find good comfort food. So, uh, uh, and you certainly purvey it. But uh, have you seen a change in the the customer in terms of age or makeup or uh, sex or anything like that? Yeah, we've seen major changes because of the fact that we are now in our 95th year of business. And we still have some families, we still have three generations of the same family shopping here at the same time, I mean, which is incredible. And we, we've seen, you know, obviously a lot of these people passing on. And so we're, you know, getting into the uh, a, a newer customer base, a new customer base now. And we're expanding the customer base. Well, we that's good. How are you doing that? Oh, we're doing it through our website, and through, we're we're starting with uh, social promotion, social media. Well, uh, t- tell our audience your website so they can go to it while they're listening. The website is William Pole W I L L I A M P O L L dot com. Okay. William Pole dot com. Uh, well. But, um, uh, you know, our audience is nationwide. Why should they be interested in, in a shop in New York City? Because we offer the finest that there is, and we will stand behind it. If you are dissatisfied, we will, we will replace it or refund it. We'll make good on it. Uh, I think do, we've do had you, one complaint in the last 30 years. <laughs> do you, uh, do you uh, offer a, a shipment to uh, other parts of the country? We ship all over the country, uh, all, 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 all the contiguous 48 states. We should definitely ship there. We've got customers in just about every state, and we ship year-round. People, well, people will uh, buy our dinners. They'll stock up on the dinners, the soups, the appetizers, the smoked salmon, you know, if there's a dinner party. I mean, we, we, do, we actually will sell enough food for a dinner party. Hmm. You don't smoke your own salmon there, do you? No, we have it smoked especially for us. It's a house of house smoke. Just happens to be my my favorite food, but uh, uh, that's why I asked the question. I'm, my my wife says your, your your restaurant is one of the best in New York. And your place is one of the Thank best you. places in New York. I have not been. I meant to get there before uh, the show, but no, did not get a chance. Well, we we're across the. I think I'd, I'd love to see you come in here. Um, uh, I, I I may take you if up I on it you. simply uh, because those those crisps you had at the show were out of this world, and and as was the uh, um, uh, the dip that you had with it, uh, we we really enjoyed it. Um, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say because even when you come in here. As a matter of fact, you'll find, I mean, that we've, we're always sampling the, the dips and the chips, the potato fins, rather. And there'll be eight different dips out there. And, I mean, people come in here, they can actually, uh, they'll consume enough for lunch. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll, they'll just go ahead and eat. We don't care. It's there for you to enjoy. Well, um, well then I'll definitely come, uh, uh, come in there. Um uh, and I had a th- question on the tip of my tongue, and actually I, I lost it. But um, when oh, 
See, I'm at loss for words because uh, I, I had a great question. But but now uh, you you've seen all this. You've seen um, some of these changes. Um, what do you see as the future of a company like yours? We we see uh, a steady growth with uh, uh, with our, our our operation because we are satisfying the customers' needs and desires. That comfort food, they're getting quality food. They can have it delivered or picked up. Okay, it's it's comparable to restaurant quality, but you have, you have the convenience of doing it at home. And we we can we have both fresh and frozen. Hmm. So you, there's a there's uh, an added convenience there. Um, a question: Do you lose something in the quality when you freeze it? No, because when we it, it's made the same way, and as as soon as it's packed, it immediately goes downstairs to the freezer. We hmm. put it, and it does not lose any anything in the quality. And and those we sell a tremendous number of, uh, of frozen dishes. People will buy they'll they'll be buy they'll buy chicken pot pies for instance buy the dozen, cheese souffles buy the dozen, chicken curry, chicken beef bourguignon. I mean they'll they'll literally buy enough enough for a dinner party. Hmm. Well, ex explain to me. Um, uh, you do all all of your preparation, etc. Um, uh, literally in-house. But um, uh, do you have limitations? For instance, do you own the building or uh, how do you expand as things grow bigger? Uh, or how do you plan to... Well, the building, we, we can't expand anymore in the building. Um, I mean, we're limited with the space. But uh, it's a very efficient kitchen and the, uh, the staff has been here um, the longevity here, the staff is, is incredible because they've all been here for at least 25 years. Very little, very little turnover, and they're very devoted to the to the business and and to us and to the customers. That was my question. Uh, um, what do you look for in an employee, and how do you uh, maintain that employee? They're they're treated very well. I mean, we we look for dedication, his competence, his ability, his skills, uh, his ability to deal with people. The, the inter, inter, interchange with people is very very important. As I say, because the the the, the staff here will actually engage in conversation with the the uh, the, the, the customer. It's not where you walk in as if uh, you know and you're treated like, like a number or a commodity. You actually get in the conversation, and uh, you know it'll be something. As I say, it could be sports, politics, it could be uh, movies, it could be something that happened last night, or they talk, or yeah, they know their families very well. They know uh, about the children, the grandchildren, so there are always questions asked, and and the customers love it. They, they come in here and because they feel at home. Everyone here is treated like a member of the family. Mm. That is rare today. We we think customer service is is a lost art in in the retailing today. It is. It certainly is. It it really it's a, it's dying very rapidly, and uh, you know we we thrive on that. As I say, just you look at the the fact the mere fact that we don't have a turnover. Yes. With our staff. And well, the, uh, go ahead. No, you first. 
Um, no, they, no they, they, uh, they, they, they enjoy, they enjoy their work and they enjoy that. I mean, and they also enjoy the challenge of going out on the catering. I mean, even if it means working until two, three o'clock in the morning, they love that. It's something new and exciting and they can broaden their, broaden their, their experience. Well, how do you and your brother divide up the managerial tasks? He runs the store downstairs, and uh, I, I'm basically doing the upstairs in the office just a lot of the uh, the ordering and the bookkeeping and whatnot. Yet yeah. you're such an enthusiastic salesman. Why leave you upstairs? Uh, well, you know, well the office is upstairs. He, he's and, uh, he's very good. He's he's a great a great uh, front of the house guy. I mean, he knows everybody by name. Believe me, and and, and there is, he's he's got a terrific memory when he comes to movies and stuff like that, and and he also gives he he's very good at assisting customers if they want uh, if they want to go to museums he tells them which museums to go to what they what's going on in the museums what their current activities are. Oh, he's very good like that. Okay, um, for one final question. Um, if you if you uh, had one thing you wanted to say to our, our audience uh, about uh, running a small business, what would it be? You have to do it with dedication, devotion, and passion. And you've got to understand your customers and satisfy your customers. You cannot treat them as a commodity. Well, some some people do, unfortunately. I know, and it's it's very sad. And I, and I think you see people, and that's why you see, you see it's such a great turnover of stores. And it's, 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 don't forget, the fact that we survived 95 years is, uh, is a testament to the, the fact, the way we run the business and our, our belief in the business. Well, are you planning anything for your 100th um uh, which is coming up. I know it's uh, four years away, but are you, are you even thinking about that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're taking it. As, we're thinking about it. That'll be a big one. Hmm. Well, we look forward to it, and I am definitely, um, um, I am definitely going to come by and see your store. You, you, what is my appetite? We, uh, please be my guest. I mean, we'd love to have you come in here. Are you, okay. You're, you'll be well, absolutely thrilled. Because you come in once, well, I guarantee you'll be coming back again. <laughs> like I say, you're you're a great salesman. You become uh, addicted to this place because you believe in it, and you're absolutely a, um, a great uh, advertisement for your company. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being with us. And thank and, you very much. Appreciate again. the interview. Have a good day. You too, sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you